Palm Sunday. Did anybody wake up and not know it was Palm Sunday today? Okay, at least somebody's honest. A couple of us are honest. All right. Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And um, one thing that I've started doing a number of years ago, there's this, this shift that's happened in the church world over the last number of years where um, the expansion of the evangelical church, and actually the evangelical church in America is shrinking, but um, the expansion of it um, over years out of mainline churches caused the evangelical church, churches that, the evangelical meaning churches that are saying, this is God's word, we want to live it, we don't really care about tradition, we just want to follow God's plan. And what's happened is um, that, that kind of side of Christianity, which we're part of, um, has kind of said over years, you know, we don't really care about the historical, we don't care about tradition, we just want God's word. And that's, that's a great heart, right? I just want God's word. But in the, in the process of that, what we've done sometimes is we've, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And we've given up really understanding the value of tradition, the value of, of special days, the value of saying, you know, historically this was what the church has always done. And so for years, a number of years ago, the Lord began to deal with my heart on that. And I began to kind of switch and make sure that, that I maybe not use the same kind of language that maybe you've heard in your past, but really emphasizing the historical part of, of Christianity. And so whenever it comes to these days, the, the Palm Sundays, the Easters, you know, the different days on a church calendar, I try to, to focus our attention on those so that we line up and we unlearn from the history of the church um, because God has something incredible to teach us. And today is one of those historical days in the church calendar, a day that, that I, I hope from this point on, you never wake up on a Sunday before Easter again and go, I didn't even know it was Palm Sunday because maybe we didn't get the significance of it. And we've talked about that a little bit today already. But, but today I want us to understand that, that literally hundreds of millions of Christians around the world are celebrating um, what we call Palm Sunday. And we're all focusing on the events of Jesus' life when he entered Jerusalem as a king. That's significant. When, when he said to the, to the crowds, I'm who you think I am. I'm the king come from God. And it was, he began that day being received as king, but he entered into, as Suzanne said earlier, his last week of earthly ministry. And so what, what we're wanting to do today is with, with millions of other people, consider hundreds of millions of other people, consider what does that say to us? What's it say to us that, that he entered that day, that, that day and, and how does that affect us? Um, how should that, should that matter in our lives? And, and so I want to look at what was the original Palm Sunday in the Gospel of, of Matthew. So grab your Bibles. Who brought your Bibles today? you bring your Bible? I wrote a note for myself in my Bible, I mean my notes, about your Bibles. I don't usually do this. I wrote a note in my Bible, my note, in red ink. Did you bring your Bible today? And you know what I wrote underneath it? And it can be electronic. I wrote underneath it. Did you open it up and read it since last Sunday? Just wondering. Did you open it up and read it? Doesn't have to be that particular one. This Bible that I'm using right now is not the Bible that I read throughout the week because it's a giant print Bible that I have so I can actually see it while I'm preaching. Um, but um, did you open it up and read it um, and, and interact with God through the week? So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Did I tell you 21? I'm sorry. Matthew 21. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, 
Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even the colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and, and, he, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And so we think palm branches, and that's what we call Palm Sunday. Verse 9. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. We just stop right there. On that day, Jesus rode into town. He began his last week of earthly ministry, his last week of, of life. We call it the Passion Week. You ever hear that term? You ever wonder why the, the movie The Passion of the Christ is called The Passion of the Christ? It's because in his passion for lost humanity, he actually said, I'm going to go and start the whole ball rolling. That's going to end in my execution. And his passion for you and his passion for me. He started, so he began this week that we call the Passion Week. And it says in the, in the story here that he sent two disciples to go in ahead of them and go get a donkey on which he would ride into Jerusalem, God's holy city. And that little detail that he would get a donkey and ride into town may seem to you like a strange detail to include in the story. Why would God care about writing about Jesus' mode of transportation into town? You know, we know other stories where he says that he walked or, you know, how he came into town, that he, that he rode a horse or, or anything else. But in this story, in this situation, God, by the Holy Spirit, says this is vital. It's important that he, you would say how he got into town because, you see, entering Jerusalem in the way that he did, told everyone who understand, understood God's word, all those Jewish people who understand, understood the word, understood the prophecies that God had told, told everyone that Jesus was the promised king that they had been hoping for and praying for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, when he rode into town on a donkey that day, he was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah had told the people, someday your king is coming. And, and this is what he said. It's what's repeated in, verse, in chapter 20, verse, 21, verse 5. He says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Zechariah had said, this is how the king will come into town. You'll know it's him when this is how he comes into town. So Jesus comes and he rides into Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey. Coming in a way that would not make sense to any one of us if we were coming to try to say, I'm going to establish myself as king. If you today were going to say, I'm going to establish myself as king, or let's say governor of the state of Wisconsin, what do we see happens right there when we have issues in, in government? 
People don't come in gentle and calm. They come in with anger and might and try to elicit a power base to come. And this power base is going to take over that power base. And, and that's how humanity has done it from the beginning of time. Matter of fact, if you look at humanity's history, look at through the word of God or just, just natural history, and you say one thing. You know what marks human history? Violence and conflict. But Jesus comes in different. In fulfillment of prophecy, he comes in, it says, gentle and riding on a donkey. No, not as an insurrectionist, not with some great army. And um, through his actions, coming in like this, he openly is stating, you know what, I'm the one. I'm the promised king sent from God. I'm the fulfillment of prophecy. I am the one you have been hoping for and praying for. And the people on that day clearly understood his message. They got it. You could say, well, we get it from perspective, but did they get it? They absolutely got it. Because you remember just one week later in his crucifixion? Do you remember that they nailed a, a sign above his head on the cross? Do you remember what the sign said? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Remember, the, the leaders didn't like it. The Jewish leaders said, no, say, he thought he was, or he said he was. And he says, no, no. The Romans said, no, we're going to say what we're going to say. And it's, he's saying, he was, this is the king of the of the Jews. His message came through loud and clear on that day. I am the king sent from God to establish the kingdom of God. So the crowds, they had to be just filled with excitement. And they went and they, they laid their coats and they, they cut palm branches off of the, off of the trees and they, they laid them in the road. And in essence, what they were doing in our, in our comparison, what it would be like today, it would be like a red carpet event where they roll out the red carpet and you come walking in as the, as the honored guest. And what did they shout when he walked in? They shouted, Hosanna. But you know what Hosanna means? It means save now. They were shouting to him, save us. Set us free. Save us now. And they're saying, save now, son of David. Because they understood the prophecies. They understood the one coming that God had promised that a descendant of David would come and do this. So they're, they're shouting at him. These are Jewish religious people looking at this prophet and saying, this is him. He's coming. The king has come. Save us right now. And they gave him this red carpet king's welcome. Now, you know what? David's anointed descendant is finally here. We've been hoping. We've been praying. And it's finally here. Well, let's understand something about that, that crowd that praised him that day. They misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be the king, for him to establish a kingdom. They saw him as, as the anointed one of God who would save them from Roman oppression just like another person did, like Moses had. Moses had, had led God's people out of bondage under the Egyptians and had led them out in the miraculous power of God and they said, this is it, just like Moses. They thought Jesus would be a political leader. Remember, Moses won against Pharaoh, the, the king. He'd be this religious political leader and that's what they hoped for because the Romans had been, were horrible to the Jews. They lived under this incredible Roman oppression. They were taxed very heavily. There was all these restrictions placed on them and executions were a normal part of existence as a Jew under Roman oppression. And so they wanted this king. They wanted a conqueror. Someone to come in and set them free. And they look at Jesus and they go, you know what? We just believe that this is the guy. He's coming in the right way and we've watched him for the last over three years and we've seen all his mighty works this has got to be the guy. They had seen him restore sight to the blind. They had, they, had, um, they had saw him feed thousands of people with one boy's little lunch. 
They saw him heal lame people and cast out demons out of demon-possessed people. And they listened to him teach with such incredible authority that, that, was, that that's what they, they thought of him. They said, how can this guy have such authority when the other religious leaders just have no authority at all? But he talks, and we know he's right from the heart of God. And they're saying, surely, with power and authority like that, Jesus was without a doubt the one who would come to set them free. And in their minds... Remember, in their, in their Jewish-trained minds, the timing was perfect. It was the days just approaching what was the highlight of their life, the Passover, annual Passover feast, that, that feast that was symbolic of the events when the death angel came and had passed over the Jewish homes. Remember the story. When, they're in, when, Egypt, when Israel's in bondage in Egypt and they've had all the plagues and finally God comes in and he says, I'm going to set you free and he's going to kill the death angel, the firstborn of every family. He says, but it won't happen if you would put blood on your doorposts. And every house that had blood on the doorposts, the death angel came and passed by. And what happened? Pharaoh let him go. And so to them, Passover time was represented freedom. To them, the Passover was the way we think about when we think about the 4th of July. That it was a time of, of national pride and freedom when they go, hey, remember the day? You remember that day? The way we think of maybe um, a day when, when uh, one of the people we fought against surrendered. When one of the, one of the, in one of the great conflicts, World War I or World War II, we finally said, we won. It's done. They looked at that like that. And our 4th of July saying, we celebrate our independence as a nation. They're saying, this is it, Passover, is, it's 4th of July for us. We're celebrating our, our freedom and, and just maybe something like that would happen again. And Jesus is going to lead us out of bondage. So as the, on that day, the people lined the streets. They were, it was electric, they were shouting. And the people received Jesus as their king. And they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was an incredibly great day for the people. Their years of suffering in their minds were over. And Jesus was the king and the atmosphere was electric. And just remember, they didn't get. They don't have the perspective that we had. They had no idea that the crucifixion was only a few days away and then within a week, Jesus would be nailed to a cross and die. To them, Israel was going to rise again under the leadership of their brand new king and his name was Jesus. And they're excited. So they received him. They received him that day as king into Jerusalem, into the godly city, a red carpet welcome. Here comes the king. And they're shouting and they're screaming. It drove the religious leaders mad. It made the Romans nervous. What's all going on here? And Jesus comes into town. And I want us to notice something. I want us to think about the very first thing Jesus did when he came in to town. And he remember, he's not hiding it anymore. He says, you're right. I am the king. In fact, he initiates it. He says, go get the donkey let me ride in the town. He says, you're right. I'm the fulfillment of prophecy. I am the king. And he rides in the town. And I want us to think about the very first thing he does as king because that very first thing that he does saying I'm king is incredibly important for us. It's not just symbolic. It's incredibly important for our life if, we, if he's going to be the king of our lives. What's the first thing he does? We just read it. He goes into the temple. And he starts driving out those who are buying and selling and he overturns the tables of those who are, who are exchanging various types of currency for temple currency. And he shouts at the top of his voice, My house shall be called a house of prayer. His first action as their king wasn't political. We need to learn a lesson from this, friends. We have this misunderstanding that you can, we're going to politically change the world. 
It's never happened. It never will. The only thing that's going to change the world is people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's not political at all. Jesus did not march to the governor's office and talk about the poor treatment of the Jews under Roman rule, even though the, they, they were being mistreated, and it was, it was terrible, and it was unjust. Jesus did not march to Washington. He did not march to the, to the headquarters of political rulership and say, you know what, set my people free. This is wrong. And, he did a, and, a, and I've got all this mass behind me. And if you don't pay attention to us, guess what? We're going to do something about it. He didn't do that. The first thing he did was to go to the heart of the people's relationship with God. And he said this, basically. This This is the Mark version. He walked in the temple. He looked at what was going on. And he said, folks, we got a problem. Things need to change. That's what he basically said. We've got a problem. Things need to change. What he found in the temple that day was that religious business was going on as usual. People were coming to the temple from near and far for the Passover celebration. Jewish people flooded from from all over the world to come to the Passover celebration. They were coming to the temple for worship and customary sacrifices. So they were buying pigeons and doves and sheep um, for the for, for to give to the to the to be sacrificed in the temple courts. And they were um, they were it was easier to buy them there than to bring them from home. And they were um, exchanging their various um, currencies for temple currency that they could give their money in, in obedience to God to the to the temple for its for its uh, success and for its ministry. And the sellers of the animals and the, and the money changers loved it because they were making incredible profits off the, off the merchandising of the relationship that people were supposed to have with God. And Jesus walks in. And this might mess with your idea of your view of Jesus in your mind a little bit. He gets mad. You know, if I think of Jesus, he's carrying a lamb, right? He's always got a little lamb in his hands. He's petting a little lamb. You know what? Jesus is love. There's no doubt about it. But he walks in there and he sees what's going on in his house. And he gets mad. He sees all kinds of activity in the temple. The place is packed. It's, it's right before Passover. The place, place is packed. That ought to say something to us. Guess what? He wasn't overly impressed by a religious institution with a packed sanctuary. He didn't say, that's, my, that's the way I measure if you're doing things right. He wasn't impressed by the crowds because he looked at it and he thought was going on. He says, this has little or nothing to do with the people knowing and honoring God. So what's he do? He flips over the tables and he shouts, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The whole reason God had instructed Israel to build the temple in the first place was so that they could know and honor God himself. But they had pushed aside all that so they could know God so that people could make a buck and simply fulfill some type of empty religious behavior. And Jesus looks at them in their temple and he says, we've got a problem. Things need to change. Well, this week I've been looking at that story. I've been reading through it praying, saying, God, you know, what would you want for Portview Church this morning? It made me think of something as I looked at that story. What if this morning, 
Jesus came riding on a donkey down Highway LL. Riding on a donkey, cars are going around him, they're honking. Crazy guy with a donkey going down the road. He comes down and, and instead of going by, he turns into our driveway and he comes up to the front entrance and he's, he ties his donkey up to one of the posts at the entryway in the front and he keeps walking in and he walks in the building. And he just walks in here. He says, I think I want to go to my house today. I want to go to church. Would he look around and say, you know what, we've got a problem, thing needs to change. Would he start flipping over any tables? I don't know. This is what I do know. He'd meet some wonderful people. You guys are nice. You are. I like you. He would too. He does. He loves you. He'd find some nice people. I know he could get a cup of coffee. He'd get a cup of coffee. Sit around talking to people. I know that he'd hear really nice worship music with very high participation from the group in the room. Everybody singing. Everybody enjoying the goodness of the moment. I know you hear a sermon, which I would hope he would say was accurate and was inspiring and was challenging. I would hope he would say that. But my question I would have to ask is, would he find us praying? Not worried about form, not worried about posture. I'm not talking about people sitting down, their hands folded. I'm saying, would he find people with hearts praying? Praying is a heart that calls out to God. It says, I can't, but you can. I'm desperate and I need you. That says, you know what? This is the situation in my life. This is my reality. This is my problem. And I know the only way it can be fixed is by you. Or God, you know what, this is my life and my life's not really my life anymore because I'm, now I say you're king and because you're king in my life, I'm going to ask you, what do you want me to do with the days that I have to live? What do you want me to do with the, with the resources you've put under my control? What do you want me to do with, with the life energy you've given me? What do you want me to do? Because we're praying, we're talking to the Father. And I just wonder, would he find us praying? Would he overhear a conversation in the cafe when he walked in? Or someone was sitting at one of our wonderful tables with a bunch of nice people drinking good coffee and talking about the problem that's going on in their life. And would he overhear? Would he hear somebody saying to somebody else, you know what, man, I understand that problem. You know what, let's, let's, let's join hands and pray right now. Let's just, let's just ask God to, to, uh, to intervene in your situation right now. God is your answer. Would he walk into room 10, which is when you walk through the connector, it's the very first room. And on Sunday mornings, there's a little, a little sign that's held on with a magnet that says prayer in progress. It's, it's our pre-service prayer room. Would he find room 10 filled? Would there be more people in the pre-service prayer room than there were just sitting out enjoying good times, drinking coffee? Would he find the worship team and the kids' church workers, servers, and the nursery folks um, praying and asking God to move through them so that he would be honored and they wouldn't really be seen? Would, that, would he do that? Would he find our altars after church filled with people after a sermon pricked their hearts, filled with people asking God for help and asking God for healing? Would he find people yielding 
to him during worship and saying, God, because I love a saying that Suzanne used to have in the refrigerator, he who worships prays twice. Would it be yielded to worship in worship saying, these aren't just songs to me, Lord. These are, this is my prayer going up before you, yielding to God and seeking his infilling, seeking the infilling of the spirit. Here's what I think. I think he'd find some of it. I do. I think he'd find some of that. But what strikes me here from the story is that when Jesus looked at what was most important when his people gathered, this is contrary to what we believe a lot, contrary to what I believe a lot. It wasn't worship, and it wasn't preaching, and it wasn't community. It was prayer. It was calling out to him. He never he didn't stand up in the crowd and go, My house shall be called the house of preaching, and you've made it into a den of thieves. He didn't say, my house shall be called the house of worship, and you've made it into a den of robbers. He didn't say, my house shall be called the house of of fellowship or helping one another, but you've made it into a den of robbers. As he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Not people saying their prayers. I think hopefully we've grown past that idea. Some of you were raised saying, go say your prayers which is just say some rote repetition. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with written out prayers. There's nothing wrong. Jesus taught you know, the Lord's Prayer. But just saying something for religious ritual tradition. But people praying. People seeking his presence. His people putting all else aside just to talk to him. Just to listen to his voice. Just to be with him. Seeking him for answers, seeking him for help, seeking him for deliverance from the problems in their life because they believe that really he is the answer. It's interesting, Jesus wasn't looking for religious activity. He was and is looking for people to look to him. He wants us, he wants our hearts, he wants our lives. And I think it's interesting here in the story that when he looks at the things that act as substitutes for that life of just seeking after him, he calls them robbers. The buying and selling, exchanging the money. That stuff was fine. It really, it really, in some ways, had to go on for them to do what they're called to do, but that's all they, that was what they were really concerned about. They were concerned about making a buck, They're concerned about just fulfilling their religious obligations. And he said that if that's the attitude you have, he calls those things robbers. Things that rob us of what is best. He says that it can even be religious activity. Church, God wants his house. He wants this house. He wants your home. He wants your life to be a place of prayer. He wants your life to be a place of prayer because the Bible says something about the New Testament church. It says he doesn't dwell anymore in buildings, but that now you and I, if we're born again, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. You're the dwelling place of God. We need to act like it. We're the dwelling place of God. Church, Jesus wants this house and our houses, your houses, to be houses of prayer. Jesus didn't die, friends, just to save us from our sins. He died to be in an ongoing relationship with the people that he purchased, the people that he called by name. And anything that stands in the way of that, he says, is a robber. 
And it needs to be driven out. It needs to be flipped over. It needs to be dealt with. And I think, as I look at myself, it's interesting, I thought about this sermon today. And I thought, wow, I think it's going to be pretty quiet. I can hear crickets. And I thought, Mark, you know what? That's, that's not the way you're supposed to do it in America anymore. Just be positive. I heard a pastor the other day, national guy, biggest church in America, being interviewed about something. And he said, yes, you knew this. Well, I just believe that when you come to church, you just need to keep it positive. Always positive. And I thought, I better not read my Bible. Because it's not a positive a lot of times. Although I think this is incredibly positive. I think this is super positive. Because he's saying, I love you so much, I want the best for you. It's not easy, maybe, what I'm saying. Because it makes us honestly deal with us. And I think that just maybe in my life and in your lives and all of our lives, that there are some robbers that have um, that are that are in there that are keeping me from just really having a heart that says I just want to be with Jesus. And I think the message of the story is God wants to drive those things out and He wants to flip over some tables in our lives. See, if we're going to receive Him as King, probably almost maybe everyone in here says they do. If we're going to receive Him as King, then we need to put Him in first place in our lives. A life where we go to Him every day to spend time with Him. It's not, we understand that He's everything. And we seek His help. It's not doing some religious activity because He calls those robbers. He's saying, it's just a heart to say, I just want to be with you. I want to seek your help. I want to look for your guidance. I want to find your strength. Because when we do that, when that's our heart, when He's just the center of our world, then that's what it means for Him to be king. Otherwise, He's not really king. And I find something in this story incredibly hopeful and empowering and encouraging. Because what I see in the stories after the robbers were driven out, the tables were tossed, it says then, the blind and the lame were healed. He comes into town, they receive him as king, first act of business, not political. He goes and says, I think we've got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And after he deals with the problem, then it says in the temple, in the house of God, the blind and the lame were healed. As a church family, I really believe this. If we will prioritize lives in relationship with Jesus, living lives as a life, living a life of prayer, a life of being connected, a life of, of abiding in Jesus, where we say, God, that's just the core of my life. I just want to be with you. If we do that, then God will do the impossible through us. Because he'll be able to get our attention and speak to us. We'll be able to follow what he tells us to do. And he will save and he will heal and he will deliver in ways that we can't even imagine are true. I was thinking about this in this application. There's probably not one person in this room who does not have friends and family, and maybe yourself, that, you, that they need something impossible. They need healing. They need deliverance. They need salvation. They need freedom from addiction. They need, they need the Lord in their lives. 
if we'll be a, if we'll be the house of prayer, then all we've got to do is bring them with us to church and have and have prayer for them. That you at the end of the service, you bring them down and you say, "Let's pray," and we trust God to touch their lives and bring transformation. If our church is a house of prayer, then it's a, then it will be and it is a house of salvation and a house of healing. So I have a a really practical application of this sermon for you for this seven days, the Passion Week. He's pretty passionate about what he did. I hope we can be passionate about our walk with him. Hope you'll be here Friday night, Good Friday, that you'll say, I'm passionate about this. Not for the sense of attendance, for the sense of saying, I just want to take really seriously what God's done in my life. But here's my, my challenge I have for each of you this week. When you came in, you were given an invite card. Did you all receive one of them? If you didn't get one, there's more available. It looks like this. The Hope of Easter. I made our, uh, I do this often, I make our, our, our staff people crazy because I have an idea way too late in the week. And I say, this is what I want for Sunday morning. And they have to scramble and come in other times. And, and so with the, kind of too late in the week, I said, I think it's what God wants us to do. And so praise the Lord for good people who got it done. And here's my challenge for you this week. Um, next Sunday is going to be a great day. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Next Sunday we're going we're to baptize four people on Sunday morning. Next Sunday there's going to be a short drama. Matter of fact, um, it's going to be a great drama. It's going to be more important than you think because one of the people involved in it is having, it, it's having a, really, it's a big challenge to do it um, because of some physical stuff. Where's Steve? I'm not sharing anything. Steve's going to be part of, the, part of the drama and, and I'm so proud of passion. That says, um, you know what? You, everybody, you all know, Steve had a, a brain bleed. Um, it was actually a stroke or whatever it was a number of years ago, and and affected some of his ability to how his, how we can remember and stuff. And a high level business guy, but he's got this some limitations that that he hides really well. And nobody knows. And and I asked, we asked him if he'd do this drama, and he's been working forever. Something that might be really easy for you to memorize, been really hard. And he's like, no, I want to do it. I said, I've said it for a reason. I really thought about whether I could say that. I should have asked you in advance. I'm really sorry. But it's because it's about passion serving God. It's about saying, you know what, God? It's about you. I want to put you first. It's going to cost me something. You know what? It's going to take some effort, God. It's going to be really hard. But you know what? I think you want me to do this, so I'm going to do it. That's the kind of attitude. That's an attitude of a person who's an attitude of prayer. So I'm going to give it all for God. I want to have him be the center. So next week we're going to have water baptism. We're going to have a short drama that's going to introduce the sermon. I'm going to preach about, about hope, that failure is not. Failure's, if you fail, it's not the end. Failure is not the end. That's what the drama is going to be about. That if you fail, it's not the end. You can still, there's still hope. And I want to ask each of you this week, starting today, to begin to pray. And I want you to ask God who he wants you to personally invite to come with you next Sunday. And here's what I believe the Lord said to me. It will probably be somebody with problems and needs in their life. People generally respond to the Lord when they have problems in their life. Otherwise, they're too busy thinking everything's just fine. The cool thing about church that's different than any other organization is generally after it's been functioning for a while, prayerfully and effectively by the power of God as the pews are filled with people whose lives were a train wreck one day, and because of Jesus, their lives are changed. That's what the church makes the church so wonderful. 
It's all these stories of incredible transformation. That all starts by somebody bringing somebody and having God do the impossible. So I'm going to ask you to ask God, who would you want me to bring to Easter Sunday? There's probably no easier time on the calendar year to invite somebody to come to church with you than Easter. Our whole culture understands that Easter is a time to come. We've got all these people who go to church twice a year. Easter and Christmas. That's waning, by the way, because we don't even have a culture anymore that says that's important. Um, but it's not family pressure saying you've got to go anymore. But I believe that for every one of us, God's got somebody who's probably going through some problems in their life, probably going through some, some great level of need. And you can say, you know what, my, my father's house is a house of prayer. And because it's a house of prayer, it's a place of healing. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place of, of freedom. And I want you to invite them. I want you to get in your car and bring them. And I want you over the next seven days to be praying that next Sunday God will touch lives and people will be set free in his house because the Bible, the story says that's what it's all about. Easter is about resurrection power. I think in a couple weeks I'm going to preach in the text. It says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It's about resurrection power. Nothing this world offers replaces that. Anything you try to fill your life with that you just think, I'm kind of bored with life, and because we live where we live, we have resources, we can fill it with everything, and you're still empty, even though you keep yourself really busy, those are all robbers that are keeping you from the best. I've just experienced the power and the presence of God in your life and our lives. Easter is about resurrection power. I believe if we obey God, we follow his lead. He's the one who told us to go to highways and byways and compel them to come in. Remember that story? Jesus told the story. And he said, he said, I got this banquet feast. And all the people who got invitations, remember what they did? They were all too busy. They all had things going on. I bought some land. I got to see it. I got a new wife. I've got to take care of it. I got every excuse in the book. Every excuse in the book. So he said, forget them all. Told the servants, go bring anybody in. They said, there's still room. And he says, listen, go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Basically, he said, drag the people, the gutter from the bum, for the bum from the gutter is what he's basically saying. Drag them and bring them in. Friends, that's what God wants us to do. Easter is about resurrection power. Don't you believe what God wants for us is to see this place, to make this house, make your life into a place where people find the transformation of God? I, I, there's nothing more important, right? So this week, ask God. God, who can I invite? Who can I tell? Who can find out about the hope of being? They're going to hear some testimonies of some, cha- of some transformation. Now, a bunch of people, some of them are going to be um, kids who maybe didn't walk a, a life of, of, of um, you know, say, oh, I got changed from this to this, but it's, it's about transformation. I want Jesus in my life. Still, it's going to be a day of excitement and joy. Bring them in. Every week, bring them in. You say they wouldn't come on Easter. Bring them the next week or the week after. Make that be one of the passions of your house, heart, saying, God, I want to I drag people in so they can find deliverance in Jesus. Get some, maybe some tables to be tossed and some things to be driven out of our lives, but God understands that. He loves us so much, he does that for us, right? Not a bad message, it's a good message. He wants to get rid of the junk and give us the best. Amen? Let's stand together.
Would you pray with me this morning? Just an honest, heartfelt prayer. Lord Jesus, we want you enthroned as king in our lives. We want you enthroned as king in our church. And Lord, we ask you as you, you're here, your word says that you are literally inside of us. So it's not that you have to ride into town on a donkey. You're already here. And as you're here, God, we say with all honesty and openness and hunger for wanting all of you we can have, would you flip over the tables, drive out the robbers, things that would have us distracted from what's best. Fill us with what's best, which is your presence. God, I would ask you this week, this Passion Week, that you would would lead us to someone. You would show us someone who's in need. Someone who their only answer is Jesus. We take the risk, God, of saying, would you come to a place with me where God answers prayer? Would you come to a place with me where people are set free, where addictions are broken, where marriages are saved? Would you come to a place with me where wayward kids are are returned to their families? Come to my church. Because we're a praying praying people and we believe God does the impossible. God, show us who to invite this week. Make it really clear to us Give us boldness, Lord. When the church, early church was persecuted, what they prayed for was boldness to proclaim your word. They never prayed for protection. They didn't pray, make it easy. They prayed for boldness to go out in power. We're in a moment of prayer and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today. And if I was to ask you this question, is Jesus king of your life? I didn't ask if you went to church. Is Jesus king of your life? Have you given your life to him and said, I want to give myself fully to you. I want you to be king and lord of my life. If you say no, but you say, you know what? I know inside my heart that's what I'm ready to do. And I want you to do something that's kind of bold. It's between you, me, and God. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I want to help you. I want to help you take the next step. You say, that is me, and I want you to do something. I want you to raise up your hand. And I want to, I want to pray with you. So when I see your hand up, I'll tell you to put it back down. But just say, that's me today, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, this is my prayer. My prayer is that there would never be a week that would go by from this day forward where there were not people in this building who don't already know you. Not a week would go by ever again where someone in our church family had not gone to the highways and byways and compelled somebody to come in with them. Because God, we know by your presence you're here. You're the one who leads people into your kingdom. You're the one who's, who 
who, who calls people to yourself. And so, God, there would never be a week again, ever. Or there wouldn't be people in here saying, I need Jesus.